You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Seattle down by four, third down and ten. 33 seconds left. Shotgun snap, three-man rush. Lock throws, long pass down the far sideline. Caught over the shoulder. It's grabbed. Smith and Jenga. Touchdown. Touchdown. Seattle. We just got into a situation, and both of you guys have lived in these players where, you know, the you, you can't stop the bad momentum, and you have to find some way to do it. Back to Duchesne. Two goals in the game. He waits. Fed for a score. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Basketball Ben. Hello. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are... Coming to you live from the Kintech studios, Jason's here to tell you more about Kintech. Hey, we got a new read here. What are you we doing? Got a new read here. What are you doing? Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. That's sore feet. What are you waiting for? Kintech. Kintech. Yeah. I love how you just freaked Halford out with that. Like that's very sultry. I fear change. <laughs> What's what is this? What's right going now? on? Hey, we got a new read here. Why is he hey, acting boys. so weird? <laughs> uh, so that's it? That's the Kintech read? That's the, it was a little abrupt. That's the new the read. <laughs> Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. Right. Yeah. Uh, we got a big show ahead. It's our penultimate show of 2023, my friend. This is it. Second to last show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will play. We will be in tomorrow. After the Canucks and Preds, 5 o'clock puck drop tonight, by the way, from Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. And then we're off. So uh, last chance of the year to speak with Greg Wyshynski, who's going to be joining us at 6.30. Talk about everything that's going on in and around the NHL with Greg at 6.30. There's going to be a lot of Ottawa Senators talk in the first half hour, 45 minutes of the show. Because at 7 o'clock, uh, Brent Wallace is going to join us. He's from the Coming In Hot podcast. Now, you'll remember, Jason, last week we had another guest. From this same podcast, Bobby Ryan was on the show last week. Brent's going to join us to talk about the dismissal of DJ Smith in Ottawa. Big news out of the nation's capital yesterday. At 7.30, well, this was perfect timing. Dave Softy Mahler is going to join us on the program today. From 93.3 KJR, Seattle Sports Leader, Seattle Sports Radio. After one of the more improbable victories in recent memory mm-hmm. for the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football last night. So I want to talk to Softy about the Seahawks, and also we're not going to be able to talk with Softy about the Huskies until after their playoff game because we're not back until the new year. So we'll Correct. talk a bit about that. Do you think this is a fair question to ask Softy? How much of an afterthought are the Kraken in Seattle sports right now? Well, you know, it's a great question to ask. It's not unfair because the Kraken played last night. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious if uh, we can maybe trick Softy and see if he even knows what the score was in the game <laughs> last like night. He's like the who? The what yeah. now? But I think it's a like totally third, valid question. Third year in the city. Yep. 
Um, yes, they had some good moments last season, including a first round uh, victory over sure. the Colorado Avalanche. Like people were into the Kraken last year, but this year with um, you know, obviously the Seahawks are always going to be getting a lot of attention, but the Huskies were went undefeated. They're still undefeated, um, and that is all during the Kraken's you know run or mm-hmm. not no, it's not run season. Yeah, um, and the Kraken have been awful. Just I awful. mean, I think and they that, don't have star power. That's one of the big things about them. They don't have star power. Yeah, I think there's legitimate questions to be asked that if you dub, let's say their season gets extended um, and, and they make the national title game, and let's say that the Seahawks make the playoffs, you're talking about um, a lot of the consumer eyeballs and energy of the sports fans in Seattle dedicated solely to football. Mm-hmm. By the time that they are ready to go find something else, the Kraken season could be over. I mean, they're basically out of it right now, barring a miracle run. So we can talk to Softy about that at 7.30. Uh, 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor is going to join us. He's on the call tonight. Reminder, Canucks, Preds, 5 o'clock from Bridgestone Arena. Uh, so we'll talk to uh, Batch about that. We'll set up the Preds game. Preds are red hot right now. They're playing really well. Uh, I will also let you guys know in listener land, we're giving away another pair of tickets to a Canucks game. We're in that real... Christmas spirit, you know, giving away stuff every day this week. We gave away tickets to Canucks and Sharks yesterday. Today, we're giving away tickets to the Canucks and the Flyers. John Tortorella's return to Vancouver Thursday, December 28th, Rogers Arena. We're giving away a pair of tickets to the best what we learned. Hashtag it, WWL. Text to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Put a ticket emoji into your text, and you will be entered into the grand prize contest to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Flyers Thursday, December 28th at Rogers Arena. Real quick, guest list in reverse. 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor. 7.30, Dave Softy Mahler. 7 o'clock, Brent Wallace. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski. Big show. Big show. Got a lot to get into. Uh, ben, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. It was one of the more unlikely, one of the more improbable victories in recent memory for the Seattle Seahawks last night. Drew Locke, yes, that Drew Locke, threw a 29-yard touchdown dime. He said he threw him the pill to Jackson Smith and Jigba with 28 seconds left. And that helped the Seahawks stun. Yes, stun the Eagles. 20 to 17 on Monday Night Football. We played the Kevin Harlan call in the intro. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, because I wanted to save Steve Rabel. Very special Steve Rabel call. Without further ado, here's Steve Rabel on the call from last night. Seahawks radio, 20 to 17, locked to JSN. JSN is wide to the far side. Drew looks, throws that way. Got JSN. He reaches up, makes the catch. Touchdown, <laughs> Seahawks. Holy catfish. What a throw by Drew Locke. What an over the shoulder catch by Jackson Smith and Jigba. 29 yards out. His third touchdown reception. And with 28 seconds left, the Seahawks lead 19 to 17. 
So let's first get something straight. It wasn't like the Seahawks were 28-point underdogs in this game. It felt like it at times. Of the four uh, (laughs) games in a row that they had that were all going to be tough, um, this was the one that they had the best chance of winning, right? They had two against the 49ers, and even though one of them was at home, they're not beating the 49ers. They don't match up well with them. And the other one was down in Dallas, and they played actually okay in that one. And that game was close, but this was the one that they were going to win if they were going to win any of them, Um, just because the Eagles came in in a bit of disarray and things weren't going all all well uh, for the Eagles. But Mm. the situation that the Seahawks found themselves in late in the game makes this a very, very improbable win. It came down to Drew Locke. With one minute and 52 seconds left, he had 92 yards to go and one timeout because the Seahawks had blown a couple of their timeouts earlier. And the Seahawks needed a touchdown to win it. A field goal would not tie it. It would not win it. They needed a touchdown. And I was not optimistic. I was not optimistic. Well, why would you have been optimistic? And, yeah, and and you know the offense had looked... As far as the passing offense, it had looked fine. No. But certainly, okay, I'm being nice then. I'm being nice then. Look, Drew Drew Locke finished that game with 208 passing yards, Yeah, and 92 of them came on the final drive. So for 59 minutes yesterday, the offense was, I mean, calling it pedestrian would have been generous. Well, Kenneth Walker was great. Kenneth Walker was great. But he didn't get going until the second half. I mean, the first half was a tough watch. Yeah, yeah, they only got three points. It was was a grind. And for 59 minutes, I give the Seahawks credit because they kept it to a one-score game, and they kept it close, and the defense played really well without Witherspoon and Adams, which was a big deal. Adams, not so much. Witherspoon, yes. And they were without their starting quarterback. I mean... It was improbable because of all the guys to lead a 92-yard touchdown drive with virtually no way of stopping the clock because Pete was using his timeouts, like handing them out like they were Tic Tacs. Um, suddenly, you're thinking, as the drive's going along, it's like, is this really going to happen? No. Drew Locke makes one nice pass to Metcalf. Okay. Well, do you remember I texted you? I was like... Uh does Drew Locke know that DK Metcalf is on his team? He should he should try and use him a little bit. I was texting him back. I'm like, they should do a sneak run here. Like, just get <laughs> move the ball forward because it wasn't happening. But good on Locke. He had two great throws on that drive, the one to Metcalf, and of course uh, the game winning dime to Jackson Smith and Jigba. But again, I mean, it was a great it was a great throw. But I think it was an even better catch. It was unbelievable considering unbelievable. that it was a damp night. It was wet. It was raining, and Jackson Smith and Jigba essentially had to catch that one with his fingertips. Yep. In that situation, it was an incredible finish. Um, I guess uh, big credit to safety Julian Love, who had two interceptions yeah. on the night, one to close out the game, which was an incredible catch, how far he had to go and also uh, get both feet in bounds. But more importantly, was the one with the Eagles leading 17-13 to 13 with about 10 minutes left. And... You know, it was not a good night for Jalen Hurts. I know he was under the weather. I know he did run for a couple of touchdowns, but that interception that he threw, it wasn't like it was third and long and he was like, well, this is just like a punt. It, that was a first down throw. I was very confused by what the Eagles did on those two yeah. interceptions play calling wise because it looked like whenever they wanted to run the ball last night, 
they could run it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. That was my impression. And with, it's funny. Well, they didn't have a lot of time on the second one. I mean, they had to throw the ball. Yeah, but they had 13 seconds left in timeouts. I don't know why they were taking a deep strike. Like, they were, they had made up chunks of yardage. And they got a kicker who, I don't know if you remember that game a couple weeks ago, where they be where they sent it to overtime against yeah. the Bills. They had a 59-yarder in torrential down. Like, it just seemed odd. The whole thing seemed strange. It felt like Philly could have run the ball pretty much whenever they wanted all well, night. Well, the Eagles are in disarray right now. Yeah, they, they sure I, are. I think we can, all, we can all admit that. They've now lost three in a row. But back to the Hawks, who improved to 7-7, seven and seven, they've got three games left. If they win all three of these games, there's like a 99% chance they're going to make the playoffs. At Tennessee, the Titans aren't very good. They're a disaster. Home to Pittsburgh. Speaking of disasters. <laughs> not good. Um, haven't been good lately, at least. Um, and then at Arizona. Now, three teams where the Seahawks might be favored in all three. I don't know about the one in Tennessee. I think they'll be favored. They'll probably be favored, but at the same time, it's still if you if you were to if you were to make a parlay on that mm-hmm. on all three of those money. Well, on, seriously, <laughs> no, on all three of those money lines, it's not going to be like a minus. It's well. going to be it's going to be a plus. It's still going to be hard for them to win all three of those games. Now, if they win two of three, there's a chance. There's a chance that they could still make the playoffs. They're going to be fighting with the Vikings, the Rams, and the Saints. Maybe the Packs and eight. So the Packers might be out of it. Um, but the Vikings, Rams, and Saints, those those teams are all seven and seven for the final couple of playoff spots in the NFC. Mm-hmm. The Vikes have Detroit, Green Bay, and then Detroit again to finish. Yeah. So that'll be tough for them. Although you never know with those final games. You know, like the Rams have the Saints, the Giants, and they finish at San Francisco. But yeah, it might be resting everyone. Yeah, San Francisco could easily be resting everyone in that last game. The Saints have the Rams, the Bucks, and the Falcons. So it's going to be close. And, you know, last night um, I was watching the game closely, but the whole time I wasn't really watching it with a ton of hope mm-hmm. because the first half was, you know, it was, it was only 10-3 for the Eagles, so technically the Seahawks were still in it, but I didn't feel very good about the offense. And uh, for it to finish the way it did with Drew Locke, Playing the hero like that. Do we have Drew Locke's post game interview? Because that was, um, you could see and hear the emotion and <laughs> probably a bit of vulnerability showing there too. Like he wasn't, he came into that game and like he knew the opportunity that was presented to him, but. You know, he kind of admitted like this whole time and going back into the NFL, I hadn't played for a while mm-hmm. and he didn't really know if he could get it done. It's so hard to describe the feeling of, you know, not playing for so long, or at least what feels like a really long time to me. And then you sit there, you watch games, you wonder, can I do this still? I haven't been out there on the field. That's the human nature of it. You get back out there last week, and I'm like, you know what? I'm the man, so I can go do this. And then you got another test this week where I didn't know if I was going to play or not. Sure enough, ended up playing. We're playing the Eagles tonight. And the, the boys around me rallied tonight. And it's just, gosh, it feels so good. It feels so good. I'm so proud of everybody tonight. I'd just like to add how improbable that was. That was the Seahawks' longest touchdown drive of the season. And it was orchestrated by Drew Locke with... Uh, what was it? A minute, a buck thirty left. Minute fifty-two, and and virtually and one time out. Yeah, so it, it was unbelievable that that is how it went down. And you got to remember, 
The Seahawks did not want to play Drew Locke in this game. Mm -hmm. They were doing everything they could to get Geno Smith ready for this. They activated him. He was on the game day roster. They were trying to get him ready to go. Drew Locke said in that interview that he hadn't, he wasn't told that he was getting the nod until they arrived at the facility. And there, I mean, it, it's very, I guess, befitting because this season in the NFL has been so much about second string and third string quarterbacks being forced into all these different moments. But it's also the Seahawks season in a nutshell. Every time that you think that they're down and out, they find a way to kind of claw their way back in. And now I'm just waiting for the next disappointment. Like, which of these three games down the stretch, which all seem completely winnable, are the Seahawks going to gack on themselves, right? Like, what's it? I feel like, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be that last game against Arizona. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, I could see a situation where that last game against Arizona, and they're like, if you win, you're in. And they'll somehow find a way. Like, this is just the season, right? There's Look, I know last night was super fun. Always oh, giving me a look. And super exciting. And it was great to watch. I had a great time. But I don't think it really fundamentally changed the way I feel about this football team. I don't know if you're on the same page as me no. or not. But they still are the same the same team. But what I, what I do love is... Julian Love, no, yeah, uh, Julian Love is, was good, uh, yeah, and he was not good early on in the season. Anyway, well, uh, and you saw that they started the game by benching Reek Woolen too, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, again, they went into that game at the start the game doing that too. No Woolen, no Weatherspoon, no Adams. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, I give them credit. Yeah, I give them a ton of credit for getting the win. But listen, if they get the six or the seven seed and they get Dallas or Detroit, I will relish those matchups. Oh, I yeah, don't oh, want yeah. them to make the playoffs and get San Francisco. You should I just want that. quit if that, you, if you get that dry. Time, like, you know what? Detroit, they already beat, and we've seen Detroit being vulnerable. And Dallas, it's just there's something about Dallas where they'd be feeling a lot of the pressure and the Seahawks would be feeling none of it. Sure. Right? You know, it's, it, well, it's, it, there's so much pressure on the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs, and Quite often, it doesn't go well for them. Especially if the game's in Dallas, right? Because the Seahawks, mm-hmm. you know, put up a good fight when they were in Dallas last time. And I think the most important thing was they put up points yeah. against Dallas, right? Like, they showed that they can move the ball on that offense. I'm, I'll leave the tiniest sliver of hope for the Seahawks team because Walker's back and healthy. Yeah. So if they can get back to that sort of, like, thunder and lightning thing they had with Charbonnet and Walker where they were offsetting one another, mm-hmm. maybe there's a chance that they can – Control the clock, time of possession, all that stuff. Um, anyway, so we we'll should get, move along. We'll get to the Senators um, firing uh, DJ Smith because we've got Greg Wyshynski and Brent Wallace coming up to discuss that. So we'll leave that to them. Um, the Canucks had the day off out of tonight's game with the Predators. Uh, the Canucks have already beaten Nashville twice this season including, you might rem- remember this game on Halloween at Rogers Arena when Petey had a hat trick. Um, although I do recall Tockett wasn't all that pleased with how the Canucks played. It is worth noting that the Canucks have already beaten Nashville twice this season. But we should also mention, and you mentioned this earlier in the show, the Preds are playing pretty good hockey right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've won a lot of games and only, you know, I, th- I think it's funny. The last time I think I watched the Preds play, they got beaten pretty handily by the Leafs. I think they lost 4 nothing to the Leafs. But well, both losses. It, seems, to, it feels like they've won every other game. Both losses to Vancouver happened early in the year, and that's when the Preds were in a real funk. Mm-hmm. So they started the season. 5 10 and 0 and two of those losses were against the Canucks. They were 29th in the NHL. They were the other Oilers. Like yeah. The Canucks and, were in them. And but then for some reason they found their groove. They're 13 and 3 in their last 16 and now they're up to 13th in the standings and they're yeah. comfortably in a playoff spot right now. So 
I mean, the big reason why I don't know if you've been paying so much attention to what Philip Forsberg has been doing for this team, but all he does is score overtime goals now. Oh, okay. He has three already. Oh, they, oh, they need overtime to win games? Oh, oh kinda, kinda all pathetic. the time. Weak. Okay. Yeah, and... Sounds like a soft team to me. So here's the thing. All three of his <laughs> overtime goals have come in the first minute of overtime. He's like the immediate closer for that team. But they're playing well. They're winning games. It's going to be a good test tonight. So you know how uh, I've been saying that I've been watching and following the games a lot? more differently now and like we can actually get into the minutia of the games now because yes. the minutia matters uh here's a minutia thing i'll be curious to see where pew Suter slots in tonight right right like, do, does does he go up on uh does he stay on that line with Pedersen and Mikheyev? If he's a first line winger it's not minutia friend it's prime yeah, time true. prime time minutes for pew Suter. or uh do you have him down on the fourth line with Kuzmenko, I would imagine that he's probably going to stick with Mikheyev and Pedersen, although just talking after the game, when he was asked about Suter, I think everyone expected him to say, yeah, I really liked him, because he did make a nice play on um, the Mikheyev goal. Yeah. Um, but Talkin was like, he was okay. He was, he was fine, and it sounded like he didn't love Suter on the wing, and he acknowledged like it's hard mm -hmm. to go, so maybe there were some things, some some staples some some things that uh, Tockett didn't love from Suter on the wing. Although, you know, I thought that line, although not super dynamic offensively, they didn't give up anything. Granted, it was Chicago, so right. they didn't have, like, the Bedard matchup or anything like that. But anyway, I'll be curious to see where he slots in tonight because that also, like, that, that really has an effect on Pedersen and who he's going to play with. It does have an effect on Kuzmenko because if you're Kuzmenko, you would much rather have a center like Pew Suter and maybe get some softer matchups as opposed to like you've got Nils Amon and Lafferty on your line, right? Like that's, who he'd really like as a center is Elias Pettersson. Well, think, but, exactly. Yeah. And I and I and I, you know, I keep on wondering when uh when that might happen again, but I don't think I, I doubt tonight, considering they did not practice yesterday, so there wasn't really time for them to work on anything new. Um we should mention that Thatcher Demko was just named the second star of the week in the NHL. Demko uh, went 3-0-0 with a 9.57 save percentage and one shutout as the Canucks extended their point streak to six games, dating back to December 7th. Um, the Canucks have three games left before the Christmas break. They play tonight in Nashville, yeah. Thursday in Dallas, and then Saturday at home to San Jose, um, do you think Demko is going to start all three games before the break? I wondered about this because you could, I guess, make the argument that you give them the Saturday game against San Jose off and you give, then you give them a really extended break, right? Because that goes from, uh, they basically be off from the 21st all the way to the 28th against Philadelphia, a full week essentially. And you'd give DeSmith a chance to exact revenge against the San Jose team that beat him last time. Because DeSmith does kind of feel like he earned a game. He's played really well this year. Mm -hmm. I thought he was great in Minnesota. Probably the only reason they scratched a point. But then I thought about it and I'm like, well, wait a minute. You want to hit the break with all the classic hockey cliches. You want to go in on a win. You want to close out, you know, that half of the season, even though they do come back one more game before the calendar turns to 2024. And it's not the most daunting schedule. 
And Demko's on fire. I mean, those numbers you rattled off from the press release about second star of the week, I mean, mm-hmm. more, close to being perfect. Like anytime you're throwing a save percentage that's above 950, you're pretty much on fire. So you've earned the net as well. I think that they'll go Demko against Nashville, Demko against Dallas, and then it's a coin flip in San Jose. DeSmith For lost San to the Jose, it's sorry, DeSmith, DeSmith uh, lost to the Sharks, though. So I, I know. So I'm saying you get a chance to exact his revenge oh, okay. against the lowly Sharks. So there's a couple of texters, I guess they're Cowboys fans, laughing at the notion that we would relish a matchup between the Seahawks and the Cowboys. I didn't act like I was confident that the Seahawks would go down to Dallas and win, but I would just like to see that more than, for example, the Seahawks going to San Francisco. Here's why. The Cowboys are chokers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're well, chokers. Well, they don't I, get it done. They don't get it done in the playoffs. Like there's okay, whole, okay, okay. I understand what Carmen Stephen A. Smith has a whole thing about it. Yeah, you, you know, like it's it's like no, no. Go ahead and read his text. Well, Karn texted in and said they got a 15 game winning streak at home. Uh, to, and in Jason's defense, what he clearly, I repeat, clearly stated was he would relish the game against either. Dallas or Detroit, as opposed to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Not that this would be a prime matchup for the Seahawks. So I, you know, I don't know. Some people get very uptight when we say the words of their favorite team, <laughs> and and it doesn't end in like the most flowery praise at the end of it. Here's the thing: the Seahawks are not beating the 49ers. I doubt that they win a game in Dallas, and I doubt that they win a game in Detroit. But those two are far more winnable than what we've seen against the 49ers. I mean, look, they went into uh, Dallas on American Thanksgiving, the Seahawks did. Mm -hmm. They put up 35 points of offense. It was a six-point win. So it's not like the Cowboys went and blew the doors off of the Seahawks. Yeah, they put up 41 on a bad defense, but they also surrendered 35. So I think that there's a real possibility there for the Seahawks to make it interesting, but they're they're a very average team. And their record seven and seven <laughs> suggests average. Very reflective of a very average team. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. Live from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. 803 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. As the music suggested, it could be Brendan Bachelor time here coming up in just a moment. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech! Too much. Too much. Still got to workshop it. Too bring much. it down a bit. I know too we much. just had Sashi on. Yeah, too much. But- too much. See, the, the, the last time it. was really low. That one was like kind of softy levels. You got to get somewhere in the middle. Okay, what we're other? Gonna try, we're going to try one more time. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. That was too creepy. One. Too creepy. <laughs> yeah. That was really creepy. Okay. Was, you know what? Actually, not too creepy. Really creepy. <laughs> I'm with Ben on this one. We're just going to keep workshopping this until Kintech drops us as a sponsor. <laughs> 
<laughs> to the phone lines we go. Brandon Batchelor joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Not bad. Just sewering the Kintec thing. Uh, so the Canucks <laughs> play the Preds. Bridgestone, 5 o'clock, the third and final of three meetings between the Canucks and Preds this season. Now, the Canucks have had good success against the Predators. There was a win in October. There was another win in October a week later. But that was like when the Preds weren't playing good hockey. Since then, uh, they've been one of the best teams in the NHL. So what kind of matchup are you expecting tonight in Nashville? Yeah, it's it's kind of a different Predators team. You're right. They uh, over the last month have really turned their game around. Um, you know, their their goal differential is better than the Canucks' goal differential in the last month. You know, they're scoring a ton of even strength goals. They're creating a ton of scoring chances. So, what I look at is for the Canucks first of all to be ready to go at the drop of the puck because I don't think we can say that they were for either of the games at the weekend. And maybe the fact they were early games is a little bit of an excuse, but Nonetheless, this is a Nashville team that if you're not ready to go, they'll make you pay. And then, you know, you got to manage the puck well because clearly they create a lot of chances. They've had a lot of success scoring of late and winning 13 of their last 16. So um, you, you've got to be prepared for anything they're going to throw at you and you got to manage the puck well so that you don't give them any easy offense. Three games left for the Canucks before the Christmas break. No back-to-backs. They're tonight in Nashville, Thursday in Dallas, and Saturday uh, they host the lowly San Jose Sharks. Uh, does Thatcher Demko get all three of these games? I would be surprised if he did. I think it makes sense to get Casey DeSmith into at least one of them, and it'll be interesting to see uh, which one they they try to go to him in. But at the same time, uh, you know, you're going to have those days off of the holiday. So I guess you know, theoretically, they could play Demko in all three of these games. But you know, the way I sort of look at at match, you know preparing for the goaltending and and planning it out going forward here is you've had the best start in franchise history. You've built yourself this big of a cushion. Why wouldn't you take advantage of the fact that because of that cushion, you can play your backup on top of the fact that, you know, your backup has played some really good hockey for you and has given you a chance to win on most nights that he's gone in there. So, um, you know, I'm kind of, you know, thinking back to the the Luongo numbers in, in light of Luongo Ring of Honor <laughs> week this past week. And, like, you know, he's not going to play over 70 games, but you have a chance to have Demko play under 60 games or in the low 50s, uh, which could make a big difference for you come late uh, in March and into April. So why would you try to run Demko out three nights here in, in the next week if you don't have to is – the way I look at it, and it's more about which game might make the most sense for DeSmith to go in. You could look at tonight as one of those. You could look at um, Saturday at home against San Jose as one of those as well. Uh, Batch, if you were the coach, where would you have Pew Suter in the lineup? That's a tough one because they're, you know, he, he's kind of a, a guy that can go in a lot of different places, and it's good that the Canucks have a few of those players, right? Like Oman can play the wing or play the middle. Lafferty can play the wing or play the middle and has been playing up the lineup. I kind of like the idea of him playing up the lineup like he did uh, last game on the Pedersen line, and the reason is, first of all, he's another face-off man on that line, so that helps you having you know two guys that can – win draws on the same line. And we've seen that, um, you know, that's something that Rick Tockett likes to have if he can. Um, and then just there's more offensive upside from a guy like Suter than any of the other players they've had up in the top six. You know, I thought Lafferty played well in a, a stretch on that line, but 
You know, Suter historically has scored 14 or 15 goals in a season in his NHL career. He was starting to heat up offensively right before he went down with the injury. And uh, I think he's too good of a player to have on your fourth line. But at the same time, I don't want to break up the, the Bluger line right now because of how well they're playing. And, you know, in the long term, Suter may end up back in between Joshua and Garland. But for the time being, I, I like the idea of either utilizing him as a, a top six winger or moving him to the middle, and then that allows you know one of your your guys like Miller or Pedersen to potentially go to the wing going forward too. Do you think Kuzmenko wishes that Pew Suter was on the fourth line with him instead of Nils Amon and Sam Lafferty? Yeah, probably just because there's more offensive upside there, and that was you know when Suter came back into the lineup and was on that line, that was immediately what I thought is oh that's a fourth line that now actually has some some offensive pop and you know. It was clear, I think, that Tockett felt more comfortable rolling out any of the four lines when he had Suter as a a safety valve on that fourth line. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a lot of moving parts with the lines heading into the Christmas break, just because uh, I don't think they've found anybody that deserves a permanent home on the Patterson line yet. And we've seen a lot of blending of lines in game Mm -hmm. anyway. But, um, you know, it's I, I guess this is all to say that it's entirely possible that Suter's back on that line with Kuzmenko for the game tonight, or he could be up the lineup, or it could change three times as the game goes on, especially if the Canucks don't play well. Is that spot with Pedersen and McKeev the most glaring, I don't want to call it a hole, but a glaring question mark on the team right now? I think so, uh, especially because they've addressed a lot of the issues on the blue line, and not to say that it's perfect yet by any means, but when you get Zadorov in there now and you'll have Susie back in the lineup at some point, uh, assuming they, they stay healthy, that's the, the best six defensemen they've been able to throw out over the boards for my money in the last seven or eight years, probably. Um, so they've done some great work to shore up some of the issues on the back end. And then you look at the forward group and the center ice position looks pretty solidified right now, especially uh, getting to have Suter and Bluger both in the lineup at the same time. And Oman, as I said, and Lafferty can both play the middle too. So you've got lots of options, but the one hole is uh, a top six winger that, you know, can produce and help drive play. And I think driving play is the, the key part of that sentence because we've seen Kuzmenko produce in the past, of course, but right now he's down the lineup because of some of the things that could be done to help drive play that he hasn't been as effective at this year so um you know we're, we're heading into the holidays here if patrick alvin is writing a, a christmas list here it's probably another top six winger that's at the top of that list but when you only have so much salary cap space and flexibility i don't know how realistic it will be for the canucks to address that issue in the short term and so because of that it'll likely be what we've seen you know even last year we saw this too where lots of different guys in the lineup were getting chances in the top six and on that Pedersen line or, or however the lines were constructed before. Um, but none of them were really able to stick. None of them were really able to, to find a permanent home on that line. And that's what we've seen this year too, with, you know, D Giuseppe was up there and Hoaglander was up there. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that they'll have to work through, but I would say, yeah, in terms of uh, something that they could add, 
from the outside, you know, prior to the trade deadline, if they're able to, I would be looking at the wing and particularly a guy that they think could compliment Elias Patterson. We are speaking to Sportsnet 650 Canucks radio play-by-play man, Brendan Batchelor here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Batch, I want to go back to the games over the weekend, uh, starting with the 2-1 shootout loss in Minnesota on Saturday. I'm always curious to get play-by-play uh, and the guys that are calling the game, your take in particular. Was the overtime session against Minnesota the least entertaining hockey in the history of the National Hockey League? <laughs> I don't know if I go quite that far, but it was not uh, a great advertisement for the game, shall we say. I, I think it was uh, pretty cagey. And, you know, I, I generally don't have as much of a problem with three-on-three overtime and the way it is at the moment, as I know some people do, and it's become a talking point. Because for the most part, I feel like the overtime games are more exciting than that. Uh, But sometimes you get a a defensive team or a team that, you know, feels like maybe the other side has more skill. And so they decide to, you know, reset in the neutral zone a lot and just hold possession and kill a lot of time and and not overcommit. But that said, you know, when, when you see skill teams go back and forth, it can be some of the most entertaining hockey that we see. And, you know, think about the other two overtime games or, or the ones that jumped to mind for me anyway this year for the Canucks. Obviously, the, uh, the overtime win against the Islanders in Horvat's return with the great goal by Hughes. Like, that's an exciting play to end the game. And then the game against the Rangers is exciting for the wrong reasons for the Canucks in that there's controversy over was Pedersen tripped or not. And then Mm. the Rangers come back the other way and score a goal on an odd man rush. So I feel at least that overtime is more often like that than it is like the Minnesota game. But yeah, certainly the Minnesota game was, was not great in terms of entertainment value in the overtime. And it kind of felt like, uh, you know, obviously it was a day game. It's a team in Minnesota that, desperately needed points it's Canucks team that was a little bit sleepy on the road and I think kind of all of those things combined to make it what it was uh the Sunday game in Chicago we had Randy on the show yesterday and we were talking about this with him and he said he was talking about this with you that Connor Bedard a very uh confident player obviously on the ice but apparently confident enough to start calling his own penalties which is pretty impressive from an 18 year old (laughs) Yeah, he, uh, you know, yeah, we were talking about the fact that he, you know, he's already getting the, the superstar calls, and I think he was angling for another one uh, right at the end of the game oh, too, yeah. when the Blackhawks were pressuring. So um, he understands the game, I think. And you know, as a, a young superstar player, there there are a lot of things that you can do to lead you to be successful in the NHL, and getting calls from the officials is one of them. And you know, he seems like he's got a, a firm grasp on what he needs to do to, to have that happen at, at this point in his career as well. So, um, you know, watching him and, and that release, first of all, it's just so impressive to see how quickly he could get it to the net. I'm, he could have scored, you know, two or three goals on some of the chances he created seemingly out of nothing against Thatcher Demko. And the frustrating thing, just as a general fan of hockey, is that he doesn't have a lot of help there in Chicago. So no. hopefully they can get him some over the next few years solely for the entertainment value of, watching him get a chance to play with some better players and have some success. So we're at the 32 game mark now, not like that's a significant benchmark or anything, but you've seen uh, a few games now and you've seen a bunch of different NHL teams, not all of them yet though, but a little off the board question for you, Batch. Who's the best team that you've seen the Canucks play against this season so far? Yeah, that, that is a tough one. I'd probably lean the New York Rangers. Mm just because I, I thought that 
that game between those two teams that, as I said, ended in sort of that controversial overtime might have been the best played game that was we've awesome, seen at awesome Arena game. this yeah, year. That was an awesome from game. From both teams. Like it was it felt like I I've I've sort of joked with people over the last few years that um, you know, calling Canucks teams that have struggled and then the season ends and you get a chance to watch playoff hockey and the intensity of playoff hockey and the way that it's played at times feels like a different sport from some of the games that, you know, the Canucks have been playing mm-hmm. in the regular season when they've been unsuccessful. And that game against the Rangers, I can remember thinking as it was happening, oh, this feels more like that playoff kind of hockey that, you know, we always get to watch in the spring that the Canucks haven't been a part of for most of the last decade. So um, that that's where I'm going right now with the Rangers. But, you know, there are some good teams the Canucks haven't faced yet. You know, the Bruins jumped to mind. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether I still hold that opinion once we get to the end of the regular season. And, you know, I think Vegas is, is probably in that conversation too. But for me, it's the Rangers right now in terms of just looking at the games that the Canucks have played against, you know, some of these teams that they've faced to this point in the year. Batch, you're the best, buddy. Uh, a couple things here. One, have a good call tonight. Enjoy the Nashville game. And then two, we're out of here on vacation starting after the show tomorrow. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you again in 2024. It sounds good. Have a good holidays, guys. And the same to all the listeners. Uh, thanks, Batch. Appreciate it, bud. That's Brendan Bachelor, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford and Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. Do you think the Rangers are as good as their record? I don't. Um, They're good. The goaltending thing has been crazy because quick's been unbelievable for them mm-hmm. i mean I, I don't want to put them on the same plane as thatcher demko and casey de smith the greatest goaltending tandem ever but i they, think the rangers are good i don't they take a lot though. of they take a lot of boxes though man like their blue line is deep you know me with the goal differential right yeah it's not a great goal differential. plus 16 it's 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 okay nothing wrong with plus 16 it's not of the elite but mm-hmm. winnipeg's plus 20 yeah. Okay. So the Rangers are interesting because the blue line, like I love their blue line, mm-hmm. right? If you go Fox, Truba, Keandre Miller as your best three, that's yeah. tough to deal with, right? No, they're a good team. Yeah. I'm just, I, I think we were, we're all wondering about how good they are and they can kill- whether or not Panarin can carry his play into the postseason because that was dreadful last they year. They can kill you on the power play because Kreider is like the biggest power play merchant in the league right now, not named Connor McDavid. Um, I do wonder about their five on five scoring a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that they can play a lot of different styles. Like Truba is such a God, I hate using unicorn because I think it's thrown. But he's very unique the way that he plays. Not many guys hit like Jacob Truba. No, right? There's maybe what five or ten guys that can hit that. But he's not a top pairing defenseman, though. No, but he's a game changer. He is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? He can injure someone. <laughs> right, he can. Whether you're going to play in the game or not. Has Patrick Kane ruined the Detroit Red Wings? Yes. They've, they've, they've all of a sudden started losing a bunch of games ever like since he joined five them. Five and one since he joined the team, I think. Yeah, that's that was that was something I did not see coming. <laughs> I didn't think that they would torpedo the moment they made this big Ballyhood signing. But anyway, okay. Uh, what we learns. I'm going to kick it off, and I'm going to go to the National Basketball Association. I will call on Basketball Ben here as our resident NBA expert. Although I think I think my take is not all that original or unique, and I think it's right. Um, so yesterday, the Los Angeles Lakers, maybe the most storied franchise in the NBA, it's them or Boston. And they have – I've been to – Crypto.com on a number of occasions. Yeah, I right? still call it Staples Center. Right. They have so many banners. 
So many banners, but there's a key part to all of this. <laughs> They're only NBA championship banners, right? Yeah. That's what they do in LA. Mm-hmm. You win a championship, you get a banner. Yeah. End of conversation. Are you going to complain about them hanging a banner for the NBA Cup? Yeah. <laughs> They hung you a banner. You have to do something for it. Otherwise you don't it, have to do yes, anything you do. for it. Otherwise, no, you it, don't. I bet, the, I bet the league was like, you're hanging a banner well, because you know we're who, making this thing a thing. You know who didn't show up? NBA commissioner Adam Don't Call Me David Silver. Right. He wasn't there. How important could it be if he wasn't even there? Jeannie Buss Look, do, was, com- do commissioners always go to banner raisings? They should. They don't. They should. They don't. They should. Well, they don't. And the owner of the team, Jeannie Buss, also not there. They didn't even do a real ceremony. They just kind of had a plate clap. Mm-hmm. Look, it's the first year of this thing. There's no guarantee that it'll be around for a long time. They, well, they went- can just slowly take them down then <laughs> if it's not. But I here if is If they the- cancel it next year, will there be a banner lowering? Here is the argument that I think ends all arguments. This is from a few years ago, the late Kobe Bryant talking about what it means to be a Laker, what kind of standard the organization holds, and specifically what earns a banner. And what does You're going to use Kobe's words against them. No, I'm not using anything against them. This is Kobe talking about the Lakers. I didn't okay. say this. Play the clip. The franchise does not hang division banners. <laughs> it does not hang conference championships. <laughs> we hang one banner and one banner only, and that's NBA titles. Right? So you have to start there. You have to understand that that's what this is. And you may not like it. You may think it sucks. You may think it's not great sportsmanship. Get over it. It is what it is. So I don't, I don't understand. I still take a lot of pride in those Smythe Division championships. <laughs> now, here's the thing. That's exactly what I thought of, too. I'm like looking at the Canucks. I'm like, ah, the Pacific Northwest 2003-2004. Busted franchises have busted banners. That's it. It's like the Nashville Predators. Yeah, but if the Canucks won an in-season tournament, I'd be like, let's hang that banner. Yeah, right but next to the President's Trophy banner. And that's fine, but you're setting yourself to be a, a sad franchise when you do that. Do you know the Oilers hang their President's Trophy banners? And I noticed a... Uh, uh, an apostrophe error oh, in really? one of their banners. So you know the presidents president's is- trophy, it's all the presidents, right? It's named after the presidents of the league. Yeah. So the apostrophe should go after the S, but there's a banner hanging in right, their arena. A- I Because I went there you know, yeah. with my West Edmonton mall trip. And, wow. What a what a what trip. A trip what a was. crazy trip. And I looked up, I was like, oh, the apostrophe's there. And you know what? In Alberta, no one's noticed. They thought it was fine. It was for they're, they're like, oh, that was for that's for Trump. They were the president. They were the presidents of two S's. So basketball Ben, tell me that uh this is ridiculous and that Kobe's right and Absolutely. everyone that's dragging on this is right. I think it's what Kobe said says it all for being a Laker. And yeah. I get that if it was a Vancouver Canucks franchise in the NBA. Stop using the Canucks. Just, let's, use, let's use someone else. But I just am like, why would... <laughs> Timberwolves. Yeah, sure. sure. Minnesota. Anyone. Right. Anyone. It's not the Lakers. Good for you. Utah. Yeah. Great. Well, what do you do to recognize that you've won that? You nod and you take you say, the cup hey, and you put it you guys. in the shelf somewhere. I wouldn't right. have even had champagne. I'd be like, great. 
You no no, but the, the whole <laughs> yeah. reason that this tournament worked is because the players cared about it. Because they cared about the money, not about winning a, the thing. How, LeBron you're so cynical for no, such a young no, no, man. No, no, he's right. Because LeBron went out of his way to say like the lowest paid guys on the roster were doing this for them. Right. Let's the guys say on the, it moved me to a bigger house. The <laughs> like guys on the, the guys on the two way contracts. The guys that don't have guaranteed money. Like this right. money's going to go to them. People LeBron are was like, it, we're still taking a bigger share of it. <laughs> <laughs> LeBron's like, like, I get mine. It, like adds some much legacy. It's not a legacy thing for me. It's just like I think that they were invested because hey, five hundred grand to anybody is you know it's still five hundred. Here's grand. the thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, oh, for sure, for sure. But. If the Indiana Pacers had won it and they hung an in-season tournament championship, fine, sure. It's the Pacers, like it's a good basketball city and it's a nice NBA franchise, but it's not the Lakers. Like he said, the clip also said he's like. We don't retire just anybody's number. Mm -hmm. But if you make the Hall of Fame and you're a Laker, you get your number retired. Not for the Canucks, though. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And that's why they have 17 championships and we have zero. Thank you. So, folks out there, when you're talking about having a franchise and that franchise having a standard, just think about it. Just think about the Lakers and what they've done to sully that. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.